I love that idea. Let someone know that they've been a mentor to you in your life. Maybe say thank you to them. It's so easy to forget how meaningful some people have been and that we never always tell them. So maybe that's, a, that's something that you can do right now or later this afternoon. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation we've been having that poses this question, how do we live? How do we live in the midst of the things that we're facing in life? We're going through the entire New Testament this year at Mill City. So if you've been with us, you know that's what we've been about. If you'd like to join in and read along with us, you can go to millcitychurch.com slash NT2020. There's a whole reading list and some awesome videos. It's been really interesting to let the story of Jesus guide the narratives and the stories of our lives this year, if everything that's happened and everything that will continue to happen as we go forward this year. And so we're all the way to uh, the middle of these letters that the Apostle Paul, an early leader in the church, has been writing to different churches. And today we're starting in a letter, 1 Timothy, where he's writing to a mentee of his, Timothy. And so Paul, the mentor, is writing this letter to Timothy, who he has on mission, uh, where he is in, with the church in Ephesus, and Paul is giving him some advice. Now, I often think about advice as there's like bad advice and then there's good advice and then there's wise advice, okay? So bad advice, I think we know what that is. Good advice is like the things that you see in the inside of like a Dove chocolate or maybe you follow one of those cool like encouraging meme sites on Instagram that gives you just some like good inspirational advice for the day. But wise advice, I want to suggest, is a whole nother thing. Wise advice is when the person really knows you, they know your situation, there's someone who wants God's best for you in their life, they love you, and they care about what's happening, and they're always going to keep Jesus at the center of whatever you're trying to figure out in your life, whatever you're trying to do. That's wise advice, in my opinion, okay? And so good advice, awesome. But wise advice, this is the kind of thing that can come from a trusted mentor, from a friend, um, from people in your life who you really trust. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to give him guidance and I think some wise advice as he's approaching some specific struggles that he has as a leader as he's joining in with what's going on in the church in the city of Ephesus, okay? That's why uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians was written to that very same church. And so we know this is wise advice, I think, because he knows Timothy really well. He understands the situation really well, Paul does, because he's really corresponded many times with this church. And Paul is motivated by love and care for Timothy and for the Ephesians. And you can see that at the beginning of the letter. He also clearly keeps Jesus at the center. When you read through these letters of Paul, you see he's keeping Jesus at the center all the time. So I'm going to have our Friends of the Bible Project introduce this letter to you through this short video, and then we'll continue on from there. Check it out. Paul spent many years traveling about and starting new churches, and he developed a large team of co-workers in this mission. Timothy was one of these. Paul was once in the city of Lystra, and he met Timothy's faithful mother and grandmother, and he was impressed by Timothy's passion and devotion to Jesus. And so Paul mentored him for many years and eventually started sending him on missions to different churches. And so when Paul got word about a group of leaders who infiltrated the influential church in Ephesus, they were spreading incorrect views about Jesus and what it means to follow him, he sent Timothy to confront these leaders and restore order to this church. So after Timothy arrived there, Paul sent this letter to follow up and instruct him on how to fulfill this mission. The letter has a really cool design. There's an opening and closing commission to Timothy to go confront these leaders and their bad theology. And then these surround two large central sections that are full of really practical instructions about the problems that Timothy faced in the Ephesian church. And then finally, all these sections are linked together or concluded by a series of three poems that each exalt the risen Jesus as the king of the world. Let's dive in and you'll see how it works. 
Paul opens by recalling how he sent Timothy to Ephesus to confront these leaders who were spreading their strange teaching. And he describes how these guys are obsessed with speculating about the Torah, specifically the early stories and genealogies in the book of Genesis. And as we'll see, they had developed all kinds of weird teachings about food and marriage and sex that weren't consistent with the teachings of Jesus or the apostles. He even names some of these people, Alexander and Hymenaeus, and he describes how their teaching has divided the church, it's generated controversy. And Paul says this is actually the first clear sign that their teaching is distorted. When genuine Christian teaching is done, it's faithful to the way of Jesus and it results in love and genuine faith. And he says the purpose of the Torah anyway isn't to fuel speculation. Rather, its purpose is to expose the truth about the human condition, as it did for Paul. Correct teaching about the Torah will lead people to see the grace of God revealed in the Messiah who came to save sinful, broken people. And so Paul closes here with a poem that honors King Jesus over all, and he calls Timothy to shut these men and their false teaching down. He then addresses very specific problems in this church caused by the false teachers. I love that Paul includes poems in the middle of these letters. When's the last time you wrote an email or a letter to someone and just included a poem? Maybe we should bring that back. That might be a good idea. So you can see that uh, you can watch the rest of that later, but let's just talk a little bit about what happens in this letter um, and what's, what, what uh, Timothy is facing as he's going to be with the Ephesians. You can see that these false teachers are creating a big problem for the Ephesians. Um, that was just like the cliff notes of the kind of weird stuff that they were saying and how it was creating a big mess. And so Timothy has his work cut out for him, and that's why he's probably glad to get some advice from Paul as his mentor. Uh, so let me read this opening of this letter for you, because I think there's a lot at stake. And as you listen to just these first few verses, listen for what's at stake here as Timothy has this important work to do. And also, listen for the motivation that Paul is encouraging Timothy to have, because this is also critical. So listen for what's at stake and listen for the motivation. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 7, just the opening of this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So Paul goes on then to, to talk very specifically about some of the things that are happening. But I hope you heard what was at stake in there. One of the things that's at stake is that this stuff that's going on is hindering the advancement of God's work. It's distracting everybody from what God's actually doing. Man, I feel that sometimes in my life. But then there's also what's at stake is the reputation of Jesus. The, the toxicity that's happening because of the stuff that people are saying that is unfounded and is being spread, it is, it is a dangerous thing for the reputation of Jesus and the reputation of the church. And then as you hear the motivation in there, in verse 5, he says, the motivation is love. Listen to that again. Let me say it. The, this command, the motivation is love. This command is about love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere, sincere faith. I think a good summary 
of the purpose of this letter would be, how do we live as people who represent Jesus? How do we live as people who represent Jesus? How are we supposed to be known to the people around us? And I think this is a good question for us today, as it was a good question for the church in Ephesus that Timothy was trying to help them move forward in. How we represent Jesus to the world matters. It matters. It makes a difference for the people who will either be drawn to or drawn away from who God is. And so I think it's important as we're reading these letters to recognize that the situations that they were facing 2,000 years ago, it's hard to directly compare them to the, the situations that we're facing now. I mean, Ephesus, very different situation. However, I think, I don't know about you, but I can resonate with some of this reality of what we're hearing. I can definitely resonate with the idea that misinformation is being spread around and it's toxic. I bet some of you can as well. Trying to figure out what's true in the middle of many different things, that is so toxic. You can see why it's so difficult and such a big challenge, and that's why it's being confronted. I, I can resonate with that right now. I also think that this, this letter can challenge us to check our motives as it starts here. When it comes to advice we might offer to other people or maybe needing to challenge somebody else in our life, can we say that it's motivated by love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith? I think that's actually just a really good rubric for us, okay? If we feel that we need to address something to someone in our life, maybe we should check our motives. Is this coming from love? Is this coming from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith and care for that person? I think that's something that a lot of us could pray through when it comes to various situations. I know I can. And so I resonate with that as well. Okay, so before we go on, I'm going to bring back a segment that we have not had for a while called Seminary for Everyone, all right? If you have not heard of the Seminary for Everyone segment, I keep asking for like a jingle for the segment, but I haven't gotten it yet, and I won't make one up right now. But it's just a moment for us to say, okay, seminary is pastor school where we learn different things about the Bible and all of that, but you're all smart people. There's no need for you not to understand the same stuff that we were taught, and so this is a Seminary for Everyone moment. And so in a minute, I'm going to put up two definitions, not quite yet, but let me just say this. We value the Bible so much. We believe that it has authority in our lives. But when we misinterpret it, it can be really dangerous and really tough because it's not a book that's written as a handbook for our everyday life. It's written in all these different genres, including these letters. And so the Bible can have authority and can do and is faithful to do the things that it was intended to do. But plopping it 2,000 years into our context can be really tough. So there's two things that we always do. Let me put these definitions for you on the screen. We have to do exegesis, good exegesis. A definition of exegesis would be discovering the original intended meaning of a given text through careful systematic study. Exegesis is an effort at reaching back into history to the original author and audience. So going back to say what was happening in Ephesus at that time in the first century. That's the work that I tried to do in preparing for this sermon. And then hermeneutics is finding the contemporary relevance of an ancient scripture to what's happening today, right? Discovering the Bible's meaning in the here and now because we do think that it matters here and now. And so we're understanding the church in Ephesus and saying, well, what were they facing and how can what Paul shared with Timothy help us understand our lives today, okay? So when we're doing good hermeneutics on the letters of Paul, one of the things we have to make sure we do is not lose sight of the fact that Paul is writing to a specific time and place, to people who are dealing with specific challenges. And everything that Paul is saying to Timothy is in light of those challenges. All right. We can learn some principles from what he is sharing to apply to our here and now. But a lot of what he is saying to 
Timothy can't just be plopped right into 2020. It just doesn't fit because we're not dealing with the same things that they were dealing with at that time. So remember, there is some really significant things going on. You've got these false teachers and the stuff that they're saying, the toxicity, and that's what Paul's talking about throughout this letter, even though it might not seem, it might seem like things that you can just plop right into today. And so 1 Timothy is, is a letter, including a lot of other letters that Paul has written that can frequently be misinterpreted. When you don't keep the, the exegesis in mind, the real understanding of that context, the original context is so important when during doing this hermeneutics and applying it to today that that misinterpretation can happen. And 1 Timothy is one of, of many places where uh, this interpretation, misinterpretation can happen. And you know what? It's not without consequence when the Bible is not interpreted well. Some of you have faced that right very practically in your life. When the context of the original audience is not taken into account, it can be really tough. So in this letter, Paul is addressing some specific groups of people, all right? So if we were doing seminary for everyone, we're saying, okay, well, who is he talking to? And what is Paul trying to encourage Timothy to do? He's saying to Timothy, there's some people that are causing trouble, and he's giving Timothy advice on how to handle those people. Apparently, according to the video, he even names a couple of those people. So maybe you've had a mentor that's kind of helped you work through some difficult people in your life. Have you had a mentor help you do that? I have, and uh, this is what's happening. Paul is helping him navigate some difficult people. So there's this group of men and women, both who are perpetuating these false teachings and these toxic stuff that's happening in the community. And so Paul says to Timothy how to handle these people. He says, okay, some of these guys are getting really argumentative and they're saying all this stuff and we just need to help those guys pray more so they can get back on track with what God is actually doing. And then he says, okay, there's some of these women who are domineering over the men and they're preaching these false teachings and they're spreading this stuff. In the NIV translation that we use, um, it, the word is often translated there, authority, but uh, sometimes authority is good and sometimes it's bad. It could be bad, right? Like a toxic authority. Well, this is definitely the toxic kind, okay? Think maybe controlling, domineering, manipulative. And so Paul is saying in chapter two, verse 12, he's saying, if you look at that word, he's saying, don't let these domineering, manipulative women say anything in the assembly. Don't let them have power over anyone. They're spreading toxic teaching. That seems like some pretty good advice. We need to get these people to stop. Many scholars would agree that it would not be good hermeneutics or applying it to our lives to take that statement about those women to mean that all women everywhere should not teach or lead. That's not what this passage is about. It would be good exegesis, though, to note that Paul, in, in many of his letters, often affirms women like Phoebe and Junia and Priscilla for leading and teaching and ministering. And Paul really affirms women being educated, which was super countercultural at that time, so that they could teach and lead and know what they were saying with positive authority. And so many people have missed that context and forgotten who he was talking about there. And that misinterpretation, some of you have seen, has caused some serious and heartbreaking consequences for women in the church, for example. But there's other examples in here of how this letter could be taken out of context. There's this whole conversation about caring for widows, for instance. There's a few. I'm just going to give you this example. Uh, th these widows are trying to care for them. And because they had these younger widows who were not really in need, they had lost their husband, but they were coming and taking money from the church, even though they had enough money. And they were buying elaborate clothes and they were treating Sunday morning, the, the worship time, as like a fashion show. And so it was just a mess. It was causing all this drama. And Paul is like, Timothy, you need to get them to knock it off, okay? Here are some guidelines for how to handle the way that these specific women, these widows, are treating the situation. Why? Because Jesus' reputation is at stake, and that's not good. But 
this section about widows isn't supposed to be taken into our context as some sort of rule book of how we should treat people when they lose their spouse. That, that, that doesn't exactly fit, right? It, it depends on the situation. Paul was trying to write about a specific situation. So, seminary for everyone class, what have we learned? It's a good rule of thumb that whenever the letters that we're reading seem to contradict other things that are overarching in scripture, like these examples I gave you, that the writer is addressing something very specific in the culture, and we need to take a closer look at that. And so we got to be careful not to take specific instructions for specific people in specific situations and overgeneralize them, especially notice that when it doesn't seem consistent with other parts of the Bible. That can be really tough. So if anyone's really interested in this, I've got a book recommendation for you, and it's called The Blue Parakeet, funny name, and it's by Scott McKnight, and the subtitle is Rethinking How You Read the Bible. He actually talks about this part of 1 Timothy, and I think it's so helpful. So for anybody who wants extra credit for Seminary for Everyone, here you go, book recommendation. Um, so that concludes our Seminary for Everyone lesson. Thank you for joining the class. So back to this question. How do we live as people who represent Jesus? How will we, will we be known to the people that God has around us? 2,000 years later, we're asking the same question because the same thing is at stake, the reputation of Jesus. And, and Jesus' is, Jesus' reputation matters to this watching world. So how do we live as people who represent Jesus? If I was going to just succinctly answer the question, I would say, we have to ask God for wisdom and we have to choose integrity even when it's challenging. We have to ask God for wisdom and choose integrity even when it's challenging. I think this is what Paul was encouraging Timothy to say. We need these folks to be wise in how they're engaging with this stuff. We need these folks to choose integrity even when it's hard and even when you feel tempted to be, to be brought to and fro by different things you're hearing. So like I said, this, this advice that he's giving in this letter, it can't be directly applied necessarily, but we can definitely glean some principles from what Paul shares with Timothy on how to live with wisdom and integrity. Let me just give you a few examples. Um, first of all, just this idea that integrity really matters. Integrity really matters. How many people have walked away from Jesus because of a lack of integrity by people who claim to be followers of Jesus? This doesn't mean perfect, but it means doing the best you can and being honest about your brokenness. And when you fail, being honest about that, that's integrity. It really matters. I love uh, one of our, our members, Rachel Whiteman, is a librarian, and she's been posting all these different ways that we can be really careful about the information that we consume and how we share it. That kind of wisdom, that kind of integrity matters so much as people who are saying we are loving our community in the name of Jesus. Paul talks a lot in this letter about praying more. Man, we've got to be praying people. We've got to be people who figure out how to pray with each other, even when we aren't always getting along. And that is how we're going to grow. Prayer is how we're going to grow in wisdom to face the complexity of this world as a Jesus follower. He talks about keeping Jesus at the center. I like thinking of it as like the scratch and sniff test. If it doesn't smell like Jesus, let's ask some more questions. When we scratch and sniff and there's injustice, then this is not what Jesus is about. Jesus is always about making the wrong things right. Keeping Jesus at the center sometimes means that we might have to engage in some really tough stuff because that's what Jesus cares about. When he's talking about challenging other people, Paul's definitely encouraging Timothy to be motivated by love. For real, if we're not motivated by love, then we've got to go back to step one and think about integrity. Sometimes uh, the, the reality is that it leads to self-righteousness, right? Can't you just see that? In, it's so tempting to be like, well, I'm feeling kind of self-righteous about how self-righteous those people are because they're way more self-righteous than me. And I'm, it just gets to be this crazy cycle and it's just not what we're supposed to be about. 
Another thing he mentions is healthy relationships really matter. Paul talks about relationships in our family, in the church, in your workplace. Paul covers all these categories because the reality is, is if we can't love our family well and our church family well, then how can we love our neighbors well? This is so important. How we love people well really matters. And that means that our emotional health really matters so that we actually can be people who love each other with actual health, right? A relationship is only as healthy as the, the least healthy emotionally pers- emotional health person. We've got a lot to focus on in this time when it comes to emotional health so our relationships can be healthy. Paul's talking about that concept here a lot too. And then finally, I just see Paul talking about being wise with generosity. We want to be careful so that when we help, it really does help. It doesn't hurt. This is really important to be wise when you think about how to love people because Paul makes it so clear throughout the letters, including in 1 Timothy, that the church's reputation should be known as those who care for those who are in need, those who care for the poor. So Paul has all of this practical advice on this question of how do we live as those who represent Jesus? How can Timothy help those folks represent Jesus well? And all of this practical advice matters because Jesus' reputation matters to this watching world. Let me give you just the the end of the letter, the commissioning that Paul gives to Timothy from the message. I'm going to read it in the message paraphrase. This is what it says. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. This is part of that commissioning that Paul offers to Timothy, and I think it it fits for us as well. Our mission here at Mill City is to love our community in the name of Jesus, as we said earlier. So here it is. This is why there's so much at stake, right? We're boldly saying that we're doing what we're doing in the name of Jesus. We are not being secretive about who we're trying to represent here. And so that really matters. I was so proud a few months ago when in the Northeaster, the community newspaper, it featured Mill City as people who were responding right away when the pandemic started. I'll put this up on the screen. Look at this first line. Mill City Church has been a major player in the Northeast volunteer community since their founding in 2008. How awesome is that, right? This is the kind of reputation that we should have. But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what's in the local newspaper. The reputation of Jesus is what matters not of Mill City Church or any other individuals, the reputation, reputation of Jesus. And it matters so much because it has to do with who moves towards or away from a relationship with God. Paul was expressing how important it is to this church in Ephesus. And I think for similar reasons, but different in our context, it's just as important today. What is going to be true of us and the reputation of Jesus through us when this crisis is over? What's going to be true of us in the next crisis we will inevitably face in our life? How will we represent Jesus? How, will, how does our faith in Jesus impact the way that we handle tough situations that we're going to experience this fall, the tough transitions this fall that so many of us are having to make? How does our faith in Jesus impact that? How will we represent Jesus as we face this political season this fall? It's never been more clear, in my lifetime at least, how much we need God's wisdom and empowerment to choose integrity than in this moment. And as a church, I will tell you, our leadership is committed to wisdom and integrity as we move forward. You can definitely always contact our leadership team. Just email leadershipteam at millcitychurch.com. These are are people that aren't staff. They're people who are giving their time and their energy and their heart to say, how do we love our community in the name of Jesus together? And we want to know what you think about that. 
We've got a generosity team that you can be a part of if you want to. You can always email them too, generosity at millcitychurch.com. These folks are committed to say, as our next fiscal year starts, which is October 1st, we're going to make sure that that new budget has even just a little bit more than last year's generosity to care for people in need as we face this year economically. And in some ways, there's a, a risk there, right? But we're going to be bold and courageous in that. We're gonna be more creative in how we support the Sheridan Story, which is an organization that we helped found that wants to end child hunger in our city. And hopefully that's gonna result in even more people participating. So if you wanna be a part of the generosity team, let us know. So as a church, we've got all these ways that we can do this as a community, but we do have to consider what does it mean for us individually? How do we recognize that the empowerment from the Holy Spirit and God's wisdom is how we're gonna represent Jesus as a community, but also as individuals and families. And so we have that same question. Every single person that I've talked to one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, when I've been talking with you, I've just heard so many people share just how challenging this time has been. And I, I remember uh, uh, my dad died 20 years ago, but I still remember something that he said all the time. I remember when he was really sick, he said this. He said, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. It seems like bad things happen and hard things are faced by everybody. But then he would say, but what I do know is that people are watching to see how Christians react to the things that they face. And then my dad would say, so this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Will people see the difference Jesus makes in our lives as we face whatever may come? Will people see the difference Jesus makes in our lives when we face whatever may come? Notice it's the difference that Jesus makes, not the difference because we're going to try harder than other people, not the difference because we're better than other people, not the difference because we're going to make sure no one sees our messiness or our brokenness. The difference that Jesus makes in our life, what is that? I think it's that we're living for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. We're living for more than just survival in a hard time. We're living for more than just personal growth or fulfillment. We're living for more than just trying to look like we have it all together. The difference Jesus makes in our lives is that we're living for the glory of God and for our neighbor's good in the midst of this broken world. It's how we're going to be known. We can be known to a watching world. So I want to leave you with that question today. On a personal level, what's the difference that Jesus makes in your life as you face the hardship of this season? The difference that Jesus makes. This is going to be a theme for us this fall. And so I want us to start to take this question into our prayer. What is the difference that Jesus makes in your life right now? And if in an honest moment, you really don't have an answer to that, that's okay. This is not about feeling ashamed about that. But I do hope you feel a sense of urgency around just how important it is to pursue that question and bring that in our prayers to conversations with each other and our prayers to Jesus. What is the difference that Jesus makes in this time? So as we go into this time of worship, I just want to invite you to let that be the question that sits with you. For some of you, maybe it's a time of confession that you need to have. Maybe it's a time to genuinely ask that, that God would fill you with the passion to truly love others in the name of Jesus. Whatever this worship time needs to be for you, I want to let it be what you need to reflect and to be able to focus on this question. What difference does Jesus make in your life? Let this time of worship and communion be what it needs to be.